Good afternoon and welcome back to Midday Magazine for Thursday, March 30th. Arctic leaders and ambassadors from 20 countries will be meeting in Anchorage for the Arctic Encounter Symposium this week. Founder Rachel Rachel Callender bills it as the largest Arctic convening in North America. We're hosting uh, leaders from the U.S., Canada, Iceland, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and then many states as well that have uh, interest in the Arctic or are observer states with the Arctic Council. The Arctic Encounter Symposium has taken on new importance since the Arctic Council went dormant last year. That was due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's Russia's turn to chair the council, and the other member countries have condemned the invasion, so they put council meetings on pause until the chairmanship passes to Norway this year. Calendar says Norway's senior Arctic official is is slated to articulate his country's priorities for the council. At the top of many people's mind is national security and sort of the future of uh, the Arctic Council and the diplomatic efforts and, and uh, cooperation amongst states in the Arctic, given the conflict that started last year with Russia. The conference runs March uh, through March 31st. Students can get free tickets to the conference sessions. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game completed aerial surveys over Ketchikan and Sitka herring fisheries yesterday. For the Ketchikan fishery, the aerial survey covered Mary Island, Cat and Dog Islands, as well as the northern shoreline of Duke Island from Form Point to Grave Point. According to the department's latest report, surveyors observed increased predator activity near Craig and Klawak, spotting about 90 sea lions and two humpback whales in the vicinity of Double Island. They recorded about 2.6 nautical miles of active spawn on Double Island and the northern portion of Dog Island wrapping into Dog Bay. Yesterday's aerial survey of the Sitka fishery covered Sitka Sound from as far south as Windy Passage, Shellacoff Bay to the west, and as far north as Salisbury Sound. Surveyors observed herring schools in Lasovskaya Bay, Alukitna Bay, St. John Baptist Bay, and Sukhoi Inlet. They recorded about 8.3 nautical miles of active herring spawn at St. Lazaria Island, as well as on the southern and southeastern Krutsov Island shoreline. Herring predators were concentrated around Shoals Point and Low Island near the Causeway and south of Pesar Island. Department and industry vessels surveyed Sitka Sound from Harbor Point to Fred's Creek in Hayward Strait and from Indian River to Pesar Island. They located very large schools of herring with sonar near Inner Point and near Pesar Island. Numerous other schools of herring were observed from Harbor Point to Middle Island. Herring began spawning in Sitka Sound on March 26th. Since that date, the department estimates that the cumulative spawn is 11.1 nautical miles. The Sitka Sound Herring Sacro Fishery opened briefly yesterday from 11.45 a.m. until 12.45 p.m. The harvest estimate from Monday's fishery was approximately 650 tons of herring. Harvest estimates from these surveys will be included in the Alaska Department of Fish and Game's next fishery update.
Alaskans have until midnight on Friday to apply for their 2023 permanent fund dividend. The PFD is the annual payout Alaska residents receive from the state's oil revenue fund started in the 1970s. The main requirement for eligibility is that you've lived in Alaska for the entire preceding calendar year and that you intend to stay here indefinitely. Genevieve Watusik is the director of the Permanent Fund Dividend Division. If you're applying for this year's PFD, you need to have been a resident all of last year. That's January 1, 2022 to December 31, 2022. There are a few other criteria and exceptions detailed on the PFD website, pfd.alaska.gov. Watusik encourages applying online and says those who do and request direct deposit will receive their payments in the first round of distributions. Watusik says there are over a 100 distribution sites around the state, plus their offices in Anchorage, Juneau, and Fairbanks, where you can fill out a paper application. Paper applications sent by mail need to be postmarked by the 31st. First-time flyers will need to present documentation establishing residency, like a moving or rent receipt, but Watusik emphasizes that these are not required by the Friday deadline. The only thing required by March 31st is that you actually get your application in. So we encourage everyone that plans to apply to do so. And if we need backup documentation uh, for for a first-time filer, we will reach out to you or you can provide it at a later date. Uh, But we just encourage all to apply by March 31st. The first round of payments are usually sent out the first week of October. The 2023 amount is currently being debated in the legislature. Last year's check was among the highest after adjusting for inflation at $3,284. Wrangell's Assembly has approved utility rate increases that will bump up an average household's monthly bill by around 10%. As Sage Smiley reports in Wrangell, assembly members say it's necessary to keep up with Wrangell's aging infrastructure. Wrangell Assembly members unanimously approved raising the town's utility rates at Tuesday's meeting. That will translate to around a 10% increase, or about $34 more, on an average Wrangell household's utility bill each month. That's a household with electric heating that uses around 1,500 kilowatt hours of electricity per month and has a 96-gallon garbage bin. It's a one-cent-per-kilowatt-hour increase for all electrical rates, a 15% increase to sewer rates, 10% increase to water, and 5% increase to garbage rates. Other rates and fees will go up, too, like fees for parks and recreation and rates at the port and harbors. It was the Assembly's first annual review of rates and fees in town under its new fee and rate system. Utility rates used to be on the local law books, but last year the Assembly started removing rates from local code to put them in a 20-page long comprehensive borough fee and rate schedule, which could then be considered all at once each year before the Assembly passes a budget. The Assembly went with the higher of two proposed increases. Finance Director Mason Valarma said that's the best option for Wrangell's future. I mean, this is the rate schedule that allows you to afford the, the projects that we have planned. But what are the projects that we don't have planned? What, are the, what is a, a failure of a water main cost? What is a failure of a lift station cost? Those, those things aren't budgeted. 
but we should have sufficient reserves to be able to address those when the time comes. Valarma explained utility funds like water, sewer, sanitation, electrical, and the harbors are meant to be run like businesses. The funds they take in should sustain day-to-day operations and future projects without relying on local taxes or other outside sources of funding. We look at rates through a variety of lenses, maybe not historically, but this is our new process, and those three lenses are depreciation, inflation, and future capital expenditures, and are are our rates sufficient to address those three things? And we found out historically, no, all of our enterprise funds had, had net income after depreciation that were in the negative. We found that our rates were not increased with inflation over time and that we had not saved enough in reserves for our capital expenditures of the future. With a population of around 2,200 people, Wrangell can't afford to pay outright for many large infrastructure projects, but Valarma explained the borough has to be able to afford payments on loans or bonds when those projects come. And the projects are coming. The borough is working toward a water plant replacement that's almost doubled in projected cost in the last five years. There are major upgrades needed at the sewer treatment facility and the building that houses the town's electric generators need serious work. Plus, Assemblymember Ann Morrison pointed out that smaller parts of Wrangell's water and sewer systems are half a century old. Most of it you can punch your fist through because the pipes are rotted because of the electrolysis in our soil. So, you know, you can just keep burying it and then pretty soon it turns into a swamp. It's not just pipes. Of the approximately 125 vehicles the borough owns and operates, more than half are at the end of their useful lives. But not everyone agrees with the borough's decision. Wrangell resident Jacqueline DeMontney spoke against the rate increases, saying she didn't feel like she knew what the fees would be used for. With a jump in assessed property values that the borough just mailed out, she said it seems steep to bump up utilities as well, especially when the borough charges a flat fee for water and doesn't have options for low cost garbage collection. And since I'm here as the public, I would say we oppose the rate increases. I oppose the rate. Um, I feel like I'm being charged really high right now. When it comes to garbage, I put my garbage can out once or twice a month and I'm paying the same price. I submitted that letter to you guys quite a while ago with the black water coming out of my faucet. I feel like I'm being overpaid because I'm hauling water from out the road. So anyway, I, I think I've, we're already paying more than we can afford. Mayor Patty Gilbert said she's heard from citizens about the economic stress of property assessments and the rate evaluation and said she hoped to alleviate some fears about property taxes. Although properties may have been assessed higher, she hopes to bring down the borough's tax rate. You do have an assembly that is very cognizant of the financial stress that people are under. And I believe I can speak for the assembly that the mill rate will not increase. If anything, it will decrease. And we just don't have that number yet until we have that uh, board of equalization and we have our budget set. And we will try to get that mill rate to satisfy our budget needs. So hang in there. And Wrangell ratepayers will still have a few months to prepare for the impact of the new fees and rates. The increases go into effect on July 1st. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. In 1974, former Representative Thelma Bukulda made history as the first Filipino to be elected to the Alaska legislature. Now, almost 50 years later, Representative Genevieve Mina is making history as Alaska's second. 
Tasha Elizarde spoke with Representative Nita, Nina about her journey to the state capitol and the importance of Filipino representation in Alaska. It's a Saturday night in February at Juno's Filipino Community Hall, and Representative Genevieve Vina is on the mic. The karaoke machine is blasting, and a quintet of Filipino community members are excitedly dancing back up behind Mina. Earlier that night, local cultural organization Filipino Community Incorporated, also known as Philcom, installed their next board of directors and introduced Mina, who is the second Filipino to be elected to the Alaska legislature since Thelma Buchholz 49 years ago. At the ceremony, Mina addressed a crowd of legislators, staff, and Philcom members about the importance of Filipino representation in politics. Filipinos are the biggest immigrant community in Alaska. However, we don't often see our stories and we don't often see ourselves in government, in pop culture, and in representations where we really want to see who we are. Mina's own journey to representation was an unexpected one. She took office in January, representing parts of East Anchorage for House District 19. And despite being elected at age 26, Mina didn't always plan to go into politics. Back at her office in the Capitol, Mina said it was her desire to break out of her shell that got her more and more involved in the Anchorage community. And as the people she met encouraged her to run for office, Mina began to see it as a real possibility. The more that I realized how much I loved doing this type of work of talking with people, uh, building relationships, making policies into reality and leading groups, the, the more I felt that it was a natural fit for me to eventually run one day whenever the timing was right. And Mina is no stranger to community service. When she was a preteen, she helped her mother and a group of Filipino-American assisting living home administrators sue the state of Alaska for shutting down their care homes. And while they lost the case, the experience shaped Mina's love for health care policy and eventually became grounds for her later aspiration to work in politics. You know, it was really gratifying and fulfilling to be able to help someone understand what is going on when they're trying to deal with a very difficult system. Both Mina's passion for health care and for the Anchorage community come from her parents. Her mother, an Alongo woman who was the first in her family to go to college, became a nurse. And her father, an Ilocano who migrated to California, fell in love with Alaska after working in the state's canneries. And it's stories like that of her parents that inspired Mina to file HB 23, which would officially establish October as Filipino American History Month in Alaska. Mina is especially inspired by the story behind former Representative Thelma Buchholz, who is one of the first Filipino-American women to be elected as a legislator in the U.S. To learn about Thelma, to see the, the pictures of her talking to tall white men um, who have you know, been in the building for a long time, and that was the first time that I really saw myself. Back at the Filipino Community Hall, Mina shared her sentiments to an approving crowd. She pushed fellow legislators to consider what they can do for Filipinos in Alaska. It's one thing to come to our events and to come to our dances, to eat our food, to say you love adobo and pancit, 
but our community also has needs, and our community also has issues that we're working through that are complex. And most importantly, Mina challenges others to see the Filipino community as who they fully are. In Juno, I'm Tasha Elizarde. You are listening to Midday Magazine. I'm Shelby Herbert, reporting for KFSK.